Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, longtime friend Mike Rudoy and Luke Kohler, founders of Jetty. Uh, Mike and Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. So, so we got f- first, I'm curious h- how you both navigated the idea maze to, to come to Jetty. Mike, before that, you were running different types of companies. You ran Big Live, which was a consumer company doing sort of online concerts over video. H- how did you both come, come with the idea of Jetty and decide that this was the marketed product that you, you wanted to serve? Yeah, so Luke and I had both had pretty formative startup experiences. As you mentioned, I was in the live video space. Luke was um, helping run a daily deal company in South America. We came together in New York. We're actually consulting with a bunch of startups looking for our sort of next stroke of inspiration. And we were struck by, especially in the New York scene, I would say, there are a handful of direct-to-consumer companies that were changing the way people thought about all sorts of products from a lot of the consumer products, your Warbies, your Harry's, your Casper's of the world, thinking, rethinking brand and price and distribution. But I think the thing that really caught our eye was probably Oscar, taking a really big industry that really hadn't seen a ton of technology and really changing people's perceptions as to what health insurance could be. At that time, and Luke can probably expound on this, he had a really, really bad experience moving into a building on the Lower East Side. And they made him buy renter's insurance. He had to post a very expensive security deposit. And obviously, these are things that we are solving now. But over lunch one day, Luke and I were talking about that as a problem set and identified that this is a huge market, totally underserved, and another huge problem space that technology really hadn't gone after yet. Yeah, as Mike mentioned, I, I had been in South America helping run a daily deal startup down there. And upon moving back to New York in 2014, went through an experience that a lot of folks who've rented properties in New York can relate to, which is the great pain and difficulty associated with signing a lease and specifically meeting all the financial requirements of a landlord or a property manager. And so we were talking about that experience and sort of commiserating over how painful that experience can be and figured there had to be a better way. And I would say the thing that was very exciting as as time's gone on with the business there's that kind of New York genesis and founding story to the company. But we've really discovered that these problems, while very acute in New York, are actually felt by renters all over the country, in some cases, even more acutely so. So to give a quick overview, you guys at Jetty replaced traditional security deposits. You guys started with more of a focus on renters insurance. Is that still the case? Yeah, that's right. So we, as Mike mentioned, initially, there was a bit of a focus and a thought particularly around the product of renter's insurance. And so that was an area where we first caught our eye, perhaps because that was a product that was already in market and we had been both forced at different points in our lives to buy the product. But as time has gone on, we've evolved and, and sort of think about the business a little bit more broadly around financial services for renters and financial services by extension for their property managers. So since day one, we've actually sold three products. Jetty Deposit, which is the security deposit replacement that you just mentioned. 
Jetty Renters Insurance, which is a, a really well-priced, easy to use and easy to manage renters insurance policy and Jetty Lease Guarantee. We've also added some additional products as time's gone on, like Jetty Pet Deposit, Student Housing Express, a special offering we have for the student housing market. So we can dive into any more of those if that's of, of great interest. But there's, a, there's been an evolution where now we've definitely come to understand and define Jetty Deposit as our core product and the one that's really creating the most value for both renters and property managers. Talk more about discovering renting and affordability as a, as a nationwide issue. How big is the problem market behind it? What, what companies existed before you and, and, and which, uh, which exists now? Yeah, so the, the market is really large in terms of, of, of the problem set. So 80% of the country is living paycheck to paycheck and around 40% of the average paycheck is going to rent. And so when you think about that vis-a-vis <clears throat> rent and the fact that it's been rising steadily over the last decade, uh, we now have found ourselves in an affordability crisis. And so the largest problem that we see renters facing are, is when you're actually going to sign a lease, 60% of people don't actually get into the apartment that they want because of upfront costs. And so that's the problem that we have attempted to solve with Jetty Deposit, which is how do you reduce the upfront cost of moving in? Ultimately, these are good renters and property managers want those renters in the door. And historically, they simply did not have an option as to how to actually get them in without forcing them to come up with a bunch of liquidity. And so we see the market as huge, both on the renter side, as I mentioned, but also on the property manager side. And so we have our, our business model is actually to distribute our products through relationships with large institutional real estate property managers and owners. And that entire market is feeling this exact same thing. So they're looking for products that ultimately help get people in the door. Totally. Times are tough for, for renters. Uh, how does this translate to property managers? What is, uh, what is technology doing to help? Yeah, so property managers are looking for, I would say a handful of things, as I mentioned, first and foremost, it is they have a bunch of financial requirements that they put in front of renters. And we see that unfolding across three parts of the renter life cycle. So there's the move-in moment, there's staying in, and there's ultimately getting out. And renters face a bunch of financial hurdles. And so the first that, that we're, we're tackling are security deposits. And property managers really had no other choice but to lower their deposits, um, in some cases removing it altogether. The problem is that when you're turning a unit, so when someone leaves, it's actually could be quite expensive for the property manager. So there could be damage to the unit. If someone doesn't actually pay their entire lease, they're actually left with uh, a deficit or bad debt. And so the security deposit was kind of created to handle those situations. But when you're trying to get people in the door and you remove that, this is actually hurting their bottom line. And so they were kind of left with this lose-lose scenario. Do I forego getting people in the door or do I actually get hit on the back end and have to pay for a bunch of damages or lost rent? And so that's ultimately what we are trying to solve for the property management segment is helping them such that they don't have to face that lose-lose scenario. Yeah, just to add a little bit of color there even further, there's, there's kind of two sets of trends going on or two parallel forces that property managers are experiencing. I think on the one hand, the fact that renters are increasingly cost burdened, as Mike just spoke through, ultimately does create 
challenges for them in their businesses and governments and cities are also reacting to that. So kind of a big news item in our space, uh, just the other day, Cincinnati came out with a big piece of legislation effectively requiring that a property manager either dramatically reduce the amount of security deposit uh, that they can charge, which is not necessarily beneficial to them, or offer a product alternative like ours because they recognize all of the hurdles that renters are facing. And so they've kind of come to understand the need for other solutions there. So on the one hand, you have property managers who are sort of feeling the squeeze. In fact, this was a, you know, the journal even wrote a big piece about this over the weekend. It's kind of a big story and a big trend in our industry. And then on, on the other side, like so many other companies in so many other industries, property managers are simultaneously feeling the need to offer a better user experience, to use technology to kind of improve and deliver more of a, let's say, delightful consumer-like experience that a renter would find in other aspects of his or her life. And so we're finding a lot of interest because we sort of solve both of those problems at the same time. We help them both meet renters where they are from a financial perspective, but then also help them smooth out and streamline the process of getting renters to sign a lease. So we found quite a lot of success with the products to date. We have access to close to a million units as an example. So very excited by all of the traction and the progress that we're seeing and the uptake from property managers. To zoom out a little bit, I, I, I want to talk more about the uh, about insurance more, more broadly. And maybe we could start with, were there... The first idea that you you pursued, or did you almost pursue any other sort of sub markets within insurance, and then decide not to, or how did you sort of evaluate the market in terms of where to where to enter, or where not to enter? Yeah, when when we started, the way that we're thinking about the business now, as Luke mentioned, is is all about financial services more broadly for renters. But when we started the company, we really focused on insurance and trying to modernize insurance for kind of our generation of customers. And we were doing that through really two strategies. The first was direct to consumer, and we were selling renter's insurance through your typical channels, social, search, et cetera, as well as leverage distribution through real estate. I think what we realized was that the renter's insurance space, what we were ultimately doing was a bit of a a vitamin versus a painkiller. When you hear about the facts that I just rattled off around 80% of the country living paycheck to paycheck, they are truly in need of a paradigm shift and they ultimately need a painkiller. And so when we looked at all the products that we were selling and the different channels in which we were selling them, our security deposit product through the real estate channel was truly the painkiller of the bunch. That's not to say that insurance more broadly is not bound to change. In fact, we're seeing that with a lot of different companies on the consumer side and the commercial side. Um, But ultimately, in terms of where we found our differentiation, it was really around helping this segment of renters overcome these financial challenges. Yeah, I think one of just to add to that, one of the things that most excited us and as time's gone on has really become the, the fulcrum of the company, as we've talked about, is the deposit product and the deposit replacement. And that there was something very innovative and new in that. I think in contrast to some of the other plays we've seen in insurance, which all of which have different advantages, you know, and appealing aspects to them, but the chance to do something kind of net new and create a new product and really deliver that at scale felt very interesting to us versus a play, let's say, where we were taking an existing product, 
and figuring out a whole sort of different distribution paradigm for a whole set of products that were not in and of themselves innovative. Totally. Zooming out again, you know, you're building an insurance company in 2020. You've had this for, for a few years. If you look back at the past two decades and we're trying to characterize perhaps the different phase shifts or sort of monumental companies in, in, in your space more broadly, or just characterize how, how the space has evolved uh, over time uh, to give listeners context, how, how might you do that? One thing that we've seen that has been really, that's given rise to a lot of uh, this new crop of, quote, insure tech companies has been a lot of the, call it either alternative capital or reinsurance capital that has been looking to shorten the value chain and really connect with the really beginning of uh, the distribution chain. So in our case, Munich Re sits behind our entire portfolio of products. So typically, if you are a agent or even if you are a carrier, you are selling to consumers and then you are requiring the need to uh, build a massive balance sheet and then you're reinsuring that. In our case, we were able to do all the things that we wanted to do. In this case, own the distribution, build the technology, own the servicing, do the underwriting without the need to build a huge balance sheet. So historically, it would be very, very difficult to launch a jetty unless we did that. And you have players like Munich Re uh, who have come along and said, it's really in our best interest to connect to the jetties of the world and build a platform such that more of them could exist. And so in 2015, uh, and 2016, Munich Re built a, a small company within the company called Munich Re Digital Partners, where they basically put aside a bunch of capital and built a platform for companies like Jetty to be created. And so I think that's been one of the major paradigm shifts that we've seen is just how capital is rearranging itself and looking to play in, in different parts of the market. I think that's right. And I think to add a couple other points there, the capital side, you could also add to that story venture capital and, and VCs kind of excited, excitement and willingness and readiness to fund businesses like these. I think the other big theme that I would emphasize as part of this question is just the way in which technology has continued to seep into every aspect of the modern economy. And so our company sits at the nexus of the two largest and also in some sense, and with good reason, most traditional sort of slowest to change segments of the economy, financial services and real estate. And so I think there had to be a, we had to sort of live through a period where technology seeped through every other aspect of the economy or to use the, the phrase, you know, software's eaten the world until we could get to a place where a company like ours, which is playing in such large and also essentially traditional <coughs> industries where the, the moment was right and right for change for a company like ours to come into existence and have the sort of impact that it has. So, you know, there's an interesting tidbit there, for example, like insurance. I don't know if you saw this news, which is kind of a, maybe a little ahead of its time, having started direct consumer distribution of insurance products 15 plus years ago, they were kind of famously acquired by Allstate. And then Allstate just actually announced that they're retiring the brand. I think a good example of a company that was maybe a little ahead of its time um, but definitely paved the way for companies like ours, you know, 15, 20 years later to do what we're doing. Insurance seems like a space where incumbents have been so powerful for so long. Talk about why that's been the case uh, and why it's been harder to disrupt in certain, you know, sub-insurance verticals uh, than in others. 
Yeah, I think there's probably a couple reasons that I mean, one is it is like many industries, it's definitely an industry where there are positive returns to scale. So the time rewards the scale players. Now, of course, companies such as ours are finding lots of chinks in that armor. And so that's how you go from being the David to the Goliath as you start out essentially taking advantage of opportunities that they're missing and not paying attention to. And next thing you know, you're a formidable competitor. And so that, that's the path that we've taken. But I think there's probably a bit of a scale question. It's definitely, it's not an industry for the faint of heart. It's, it's, it's quite heavily regulated. There's a pretty onerous regulatory environment where you face not even federal, but state by state regulation. That's something we take super seriously and is actually kind of a competitive advantage of ours, particularly with regard to other insure tech startups that are nipping at our heels. Uh, We've gone through a lot of painstaking work to ensure that our products are all approved and and undergone all of the right regulatory approval processes by every state government. So we have that that thumbs up and that that gold star, but it's it's not for the faint of heart. And then I think, frankly, just, you know, this is given your audience, it's fair to say it's not necessarily for entrepreneurs. I don't think it's traditionally and historically been, for lack of a better term, the most sexy of opportunities to think about. Insurance, financial services more broadly, even, you know, the way that we think about the company today really is more about financial services than just insurance. But it's not necessarily as attention grabbing or sexy as an opportunity as other things that we've seen folks spending time on, you know, let's say 10 years ago. And so I think there was a, it took a little while for this to become obvious to even people such as ourselves that this could be a really a great place to play. In addition to that, I think that shifts in consumer behavior have played a major role in this as well. Historically, the state firms of the world, for example, when you have a massive distribution force with physical locations and a ton of money to spend on traditional media as a startup, that's very hard to compete with. But suddenly when people are buying uh, products and services online, and uh, the media landscape has shifted. Uh, and as a result, customer acquisition, that's when we saw, and I think this entire industry has seen a lot of um, shifts in the way that uh, traditional insurance is actually being delivered. And so I think that, like with so many other categories in the economy, uh, consumer behavior has really, and technology and, and the convergence, convergence of the two has really allowed for uh, new companies to to come to bear, and 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 again, you know, pretend that we, um, you know, us three are running a fund uh, to focus on on the sector, and and we're reflecting back uh, over the past twenty years. What are different companies or, or subsectors we wish we invested in, and and what sort of uh, innovations did they bring to you know? I know we're coming up with this on the spot, but to the best of our ability. And for I'll frame it this way: if I ask the same question for consumer social, I might say, "Hey, uh, wish I invest we invested in." YouTube, which, you know, in, you sort of brought, you know, uh, you know, recorded video on the internet at scale, Twitter, which brought sort of the interest graph, Instagram, the photograph, Facebook, you know, the sort of best, you know, most dominant social network, TikTok or ByteDance, sort of, you know, short, short form, uh, YouTube, you know, Tinder, sort of, you know, uh, location-based dating. That's just, you know, how I'd potentially frame the consumer social. What, what's sort of the insurance version of, uh, of that question? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's probably a little early, I would say, just in the, to the extent that there's one challenge with it is this sector of tech is not as far along as other segments, let's say, probably a better word, actually. So it's, it's I think time will still tell. Maybe Jetty will be one of those answers in another few years from now. I do think 
you know, to do, to, to do justice to the question, probably a bit of an obvious one, but Plaid is a company that we truly have always greatly admired and talked a lot about internally and uh, not part of the way that we work today, but very much on our roadmap to integrate all the capabilities that they offer into our product offering. And again, this is something that it's, it's just kind of an interesting area where fintechs have an opportunity versus the incumbents. Even if they would want to work with a Plaid, their ability to tailor and adjust their technology and their systems to be able to actually work with a company like that is very challenging and could literally take years and cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. So a company like that is, is fascinating. I think what they've done is incredibly impressive. And obviously, they were very handsomely rewarded for it. I think you know some of the earlier on, given kind of where the the maturity of this segment is, I think lead gen businesses like Credit Karma, that's another one that we admire a lot. I think kind of a, an obvious business, so to speak, in hindsight, but at the time, kind of an interesting bet and probably pretty a pretty bold play when when they first came about. So I think time will still tell on a lot of these, but we're starting to see some early wins like the Plaids, which obviously get us very excited about being in sort of the same broad space. How about moving forward? If um, if, if we you know we're 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 a fund and we're focused on you know what what's our investment thesis or requests for startups or 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 where do we want to see innovation in in, in area? Obviously, Jetty has, has huge ambitions, but in in things that are aren't you know competitive or, or super overlapping with with Jetty, but in the broader sort of insurance sector, where where might we you know look to invest? A lot of the first wave of insure tech specifically have been focused on new products or old products uh, being brought to consumers in in, uh, new channels. I think where we see a lot of funding going and and when we talk to people who are trying to deploy capital against the space, what they're looking at is actually like the picks and the shovels. Who is going to be able to build tools such that you're able to drag the incumbents into the future? These are still massive companies with massive books of business. And in some cases they have no choice but to find how to actually move themselves into the future. And I think that there is a large opportunity for especially companies who focus on technology to help those incumbents actually rethink the way in which they do business. An example of that is in insurance, uh, in order to sell a policy and actually store a policy, you have to build a policy administration system. So this is the system of record. Um, And so there are companies that are trying to rethink the way that large incumbents actually operate from a very core technological level um, and rebuilding and rethinking policy administration systems. So that's definitely, instead of building new brands, which is, I think, probably where the two of the three of us really think, think a lot about, this is about how do you build the infrastructure layer for the future and, and helping incumbents. Yeah, I think another, another way to think about it just to parrot some advice and, and thought that was given to us by Keith Raboy, one of our investors, is when, when thinking about businesses in fintech and insurtech, there's sort of two interesting angles from which to play. One is, essentially, is there an opportunity around distribution and changing cost structures and changing uh, supply chains and sort of the economics around that and the ability to distribute products more cheaply or cost-effectively? And the second is, is there an underwriting play? So basically. Is there a way in which you are able to price risk more efficiently than the next person down the street? And if you can do both of those things, you've created something very valuable. Those are themes that we think about a lot. Obviously, a lot of what we've talked about essentially is about distribution and the way in which 
working with property managers to sell our products is a very valuable, we think, in the long run and differentiated capability that we're constructing even versus most of the way that the incumbents think about things. And then that works pretty synergistically with the underwriting piece. Essentially, the more renters that we sign onto our platform and the more properties we sign onto our platform and understand how folks behave as they kind of weave between those, the better data we have to understand how to actually price this risk. And so there's a really synergistic effect between those two things, which you know, if I was running a fund investing in a space would probably be the, the themes that I would look for in a company. And just to piggyback on something that Luke said around distribution, I think the approach that a lot of in, new insure techs have, have taken, it's, they very much mi- mirror how incumbents have thought about it, which is we are going to uh, build an insurance platform and offer tons of different insurance products. So it's a very product-centric view of the world as opposed to a customer and distribution-centric view. And so if you think about our business, if you are able to own the distribution channel, in our case, that's real estate, and you're able to own the customer, in our case, that's a renter, what are the different financial services products, even if they sit outside of insurance as a paradigm that we could offer them? And so that's definitely something that we think about. And I think as, lever- as startups think about leverage distribution, um, that'll be a trend that hopefully we'll, we'll see more and more of. Totally. Going back to incumbents for a second, you know, consumer social examples is very vivid, you know, in the sense of, you know, if there's a founder who's trying to compete with Facebook head on or, or even, you know, Instagram head on, it, it's very daunting task. You know, if I, I mentioned sort of, you know, Facebook, you know, Instagram, you know, sort of YouTube snap, and you mentioned insurance, the, these haven't come yet. I guess what, what are the old versions of it in the sense of, in the sense of what are the sort of the big bad incumbents um, and which ones are like undisruptible and, or, or less disruptable than, than others? Yeah, there's, there's a couple pieces to that. I think, frankly, from our perspective, there aren't even very many incumbents doing what we're doing. The, the overwhelming majority of premiums, insurance premiums in the U.S. and property and casualty are still sold through a traditional broker or agent channel. So actually working with property managers to distribute products is a pretty disruptive and unusual play. And it's just frankly not a capability that a lot of the incumbents have. So that, that's another reason we're excited about the approach that we've taken. There are... And so, so when you look at most legacy companies, they really are distributing through the main street, through their agents, and they have a pretty big challenge on their hands over the long run in that at the end of the day, there is a shift. Consumers don't necessarily want to walk into a retail agency on main street. I certainly don't. They want to buy it online, but there's kind of an inherent con- channel conflict in there for most of the incumbents because they still have a force of, in some cases, 10,000 or that tens of thousands of of agents that are beholden to them and expect their business. Uh, there are a couple, I mean, the, as I'm sure you know, but you know, Berkshire Hathaway, obviously a, a company that we all admire greatly. Insurance is at the, the core of that. And Geico, particularly kind of one of the flagship companies in that, in that portfolio, they were sort of the original disruptor by being the first company several decades ago to go pure play direct to consumer. And so if you're thinking about a, kind of a D to C insurance play, which is, you know, again, not what we're doing per se, but for, for folks like us who might think about that as kind of the distribution paradigm, Geico is sort of the, the original uh, proponent of that strategy and to some degree progressive. And that's why you see them 
they've sort of been advertising the longest is why, you know, we all know the 15 minutes line from Geico and that's been hammered into us over 20 years. Um, but <clears throat> there really are, they still represent more of an anomaly than the, the sort of the, the default way that the industry operates today. With regard to the way in which we're approaching it, which is B2B to C through real estate, there has been one incumbent that has really focused on that, which is assurance. So publicly traded insurance company. I think the main difference between us and them is um, actually combining distribution with technology. Um, and it's something that I, we have an advantage in. And so how do you unseat a huge incumbent, uh, especially one that's focused on your distribution channel? I think the, the secret sauce here is going to be technology and ultimately the data that technology can bring you, especially with regard to underwriting and consumer experience. Totally. And, and so uh, and, and you, you mentioned, Luke, that, that DTC is something you guys weren't doing. Why not? Or what would need to be true for you to have wanted to pursue that path? How did you think about it? Yeah, we did some in the beginning. So we did, there was a moment where we were testing selling renters insurance through direct to consumer channels. And I think ultimately we realized two things pretty quickly. One, as I think Mike alluded to earlier from a strategic perspective, you know, it's all about when you're taking on a giant incumbent, I use the expression chinks in the armor, outspending let's talk about Geico and Berkshire Hathaway, outspending them on media and ad dollars is not necessarily a place to, to look to put a chink in the armor. That is a sweet spot of theirs. And so that didn't feel necessarily like the right place to, to find our wedge in. And then I think more broadly, as we've you know, come to understand over the course of running the company over the past few years, what our real opportunity is, the, the possibility we have to impact renters really positively and, and property managers, and to make that whole relationship sing by offering products that sit at the nexus of that relationship that doesn't really speak to a direct-to-consumer strategy and spending a lot of ad dollars to acquire consumers. Our, our one-to-one relationship with the renter is really important, and that's something that we are going to continue investing more and more in as time goes on because ultimately our paying customer is a renter and that's the, the sort of the hero above all. But it, it's really about offering products at the sweet spot of that relationship and creating value for both sides and what has sometimes historically been uh, somewhat of a conflictual relationship. And so there's, we, can, we can build both of those relationships without having to pump ad dollars into AdWords or Facebook. I want to uh, sort of analyze some of the the subsectors and and have you guys talk about the differences some some companies are approaching. So in your own, for example, maybe uh, you know renters uh, and home, et cetera. How about maybe the Jetty? How about Kin or Hippo or 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 maybe one of the other? What what is sort of the different approach or or different sort of assumption you guys have around how the world works in terms of how you guys are building your companies differently? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we are selling different products through different channels and I think to different consumers. Kin and Hippo are doing something very different. They're selling homeowners insurance. Uh, they do, they're going direct as well as through channel partners. Um, and so we don't, broadly, we see them in the same category, financial services, insure tech. But with regard to us, there's actually no one that is taking the approach that we're taking, which is focusing on how do you make renting more affordable, financial services more broadly, and doing this all through real estate. When we started the company, which was a bit different, I think Lemonade was definitely in our segment. They were also selling renter's insurance direct. 
but since we've really focused on this this segment, we really see ourselves as as the category leader and not really competing against uh, very many people. Yeah, in Lemonade's case, for example, we actually now refer renters leads to them. We get tons of people inbounding us all the time saying, "Hey, I'd like to." I'd like to buy your products. I'd like to buy renter's insurance. You can only buy Jetty products at a Jetty building. And so we actually refer people to Lemonade and encourage them to check out their renter's insurance if they're not at a Jetty property. Are they doing the same thing that they were originally doing? Lemonade, yeah. So it's more that we, they've gone very long on building a direct-to-consumer multi-product insurance platform. So they sell renter's insurance, they sell homeowner's insurance, they sell condo insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now our strategy is totally orthogonal to that. It's very focused on rendering, renters and renting and property managers and being a B2B C company. So, is it fair to say you're going vertical and they're going horizontal, or is, is that not the way to think about it? And- I would actually flip it and I would say I, we think of folks like them as a vertical company defined wholly by the vertical of insurance, whereas we see ourselves as a horizontal company oriented around our customers, renters, and property managers. And having a remit to offer financial products across different financial verticals, of which insurance is one. And, and what are examples of other ones that, that could theoretically, without revealing too much of your plans, but just... Yeah, sort of, you know, without, don't want to ruin the, the movie too much. But as you just think about the, the life cycle of a renter and other problems that renters face, other problems or issues that property managers have to deal with, there are other, you know, take the other verticals of financial services lending, payments. There's lots and lots and lots of relevant products you could conjure up that sit in one of those verticals. If you're thinking broadly about being the market leading financial services for renters company that's selling financial products at the leasing office. Totally. And you mentioned earlier, you know, one of the decisions you had to make was whether to go D2C or whether to go through channel partner. When, when building an insure tech company, what are other examples of big decisions one one has to make or, or, or pick between and, and that separates what, what paths, you know, different companies go to insurance? One of the first decisions that we made was whether or not we wanted to be a quote unquote full stack carrier. And so in this case, what that meant was, did we want to build a balance sheet um, such that we would basically not only do the underwriting, but all of the risk was on our own books that is a very different, um, that, that's actually a huge undertaking. And so companies like, for example, Lemonade came out of the gate. They decided that that was the right path for them. Um, the way our approach has been, let's come to market as an MGA. Let's partner with a Munich Re such that we're able to focus on the things that we see as differentiated and play to our strengths. So in, which, in this case, it is distribution, it is product development, it's customer experience. And as we think about offering more products, especially outside of insurance, we want to really be nimble. And so it didn't really make sense that we were going to build a huge balance sheet. Um, I would think that that's actually a really critical one in the beginning of of, um, our business. Another one is actually uh, whether or not you want to build your own policy administration system. Um, And so similarly, from our perspective, while we have built, uh, I would say, a ton of core technology that allows us to uh, service our our customers, because of our strategy, which is to sell many different products, we have partnered with different companies 
where we actually see, uh, where we don't see ourselves as necessarily providing a bunch of differentiated value such that we can really focus on seeping into the leasing experience and offering the best consumer experience possible. So these are a couple of the major decisions that we had to make that a lot of insure tech companies have to make as well. Totally. How about looking at uh, auto, for example, when you think about companies like uh, Metro Mile or ClearCover or any of the, the, the big ones there, how do you think about the, the trade-offs that they had to make or how, how do you compare, compare them? Yeah, I think, I mean, candidly, probably don't spend tons of time thinking about them just because they're in a completely different segment. I mean, you know, it is insurance. We are all broadly within insurance, although, again, today we really think about our businesses sitting more under the umbrella of fintech broadly as well as actually prop tech um, and really at the nexus of those two. But it's such a massive industry and, and share of GDP that, you know, auto alone is, hundreds of billions of dollars of premiums. And so there's, there are actually, there are a lot of differences and it's just not an area that we spend a lot of time thinking about, particularly because we, as a financial services company for renters, don't necessarily imagine offering that product. Yeah. And is, is it as different as like, you know, Chinese and Japanese? Like, is it just a totally different language and industry? Like, would you, in terms of like, you know, building one versus the other? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good analog. It's probably something like home decor and apparel or something like that. Like some of the capabilities are obviously similar. There are companies that sell both. Although, for example, you know, Geico, which we all know is an auto insurer, they do sell home insurance products, but they don't actually underwrite any of them themselves. They just do that as they use their brand for lead gen. And then they actually, those products are sold by different companies. <laughs> which just gives you, again, a sense of the, the way in which, you know, they're all lumped under insurance. They're actually, the capabilities associated with running a home insurance company or homeowner's insurance company are very different from running an auto insurance company. Is there, can you imagine sort of, you know, a jetty for X in the sense that you guys are building for a very specific, uh, you know, customer with a very specific approach and then able to expand from, from there? Are there companies that are following a similar approach with a different customer? Or, or could you see that being a path more companies pursue? I think what we're building is, is pretty, pretty specific to the needs of renters. I think, you know, if you're going to take that analogy and say we are, we are doing the Uber for X, it is really specifically around on demand. And so in our case, it is, it's really about thinking about a life cycle um, in our case, it's being a renter, it's a channel, it's about working with a property manager. So it's sitting between these two entities. And as a result, I think it's part of the reason why we were attracted to this specific opportunity is because it is so differentiated. It is so specific. Um, it is not necessarily something that someone is going to turn around and be able to replicate in a different industry. Um, and it's part of the reason why we think building these relationships with property managers is so important. Putting our, our, our VC hat uh, back on, how do you think about uh, other categories as to whether they're likely to grow or shrink uh, in the future? And some that come to mind, you know, c cyber, pet insurance, uh, life insurance. Uh, I mean, any others that, that come to mind that are worth mentioning? Cyber is a big, obvious one. I mean, I think the question of how, on, how the heck do you underwrite is still remains to be seen a little bit. So that's kind of an interesting one to think about. Life has an interesting long-term trajectory, I think, just giving changing behaviors and changing consumer 
demand and what people want. I think it's probably less about which specific product lines are going to grow and more around what are the different growth strategies going to be in terms of how you cut up the market, in terms of how you distribute product. Um, and so it's probably less like, hey, look at this specific product and, and, and look at its growth trajectory and more how is the world changing around us and how is that going to slightly reshape sort of the existing lines of the battlefields. I think, you know, anytime where you have big structural changes in the way that people are transacting, there should be, there will be changes with insurance along that because as folks move more into an on-demand world, for example, the need for the products to change a little bit, the way that they work, the way that they're sold to meet those purchase behaviors will also change. But that's probably how we think about it more. Totally. And how about in terms of data sources that people don't don't exist yet, but are going to be big that maybe people aren't thinking about? I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, Internet of Things is going to bring new data sources that are going to, make, you know, change how insure tech companies are built. How, how do you think about that? So I think in other categories, just to use your example of Internet of Things, I think if you are running a home insurance company that is very interesting, I don't know that the data is quite there yet. However, you could imagine that there's a lot of signal um, that one could get in, in terms of the data that IoT devices are spitting out. In our specific industry, what is really interesting for us is first um, looking at data that, as Luke mentioned, you might get from a, a plaid. Um, so it's thinking about how do you take a 360 degree look at a renter today, historically, and really try to predict, um, predict the future. Another, another aspect here is because we are partnering with the property manager, how do we look at anonymized data um, around are people able to make rent um, on time? Are people uh, breaking leases? Are people, um, how are people who have lower credit scores leaving apartments with regard to damages? And so it is about that cooperation between us and the property manager and getting access to a very unique data set that really no one has had access to in, in the past. And thinking about how we're able to combine that with a very um, close view of a renter with regard to what the renter gives us. So it's about combining those two in our mind. I know you don't, you don't focus a ton on the space, but putting your investor hat on, how, how do you look at uh, health insurance? You, you mentioned Oscar earlier, there's Clover, there's Collective Health. What are the, like? What would your approach be to investing in that space, or even thinking about what what's uh, likely to work or likely to likely to not work? Yeah, I think probably we'll we'll pass on this one just for the reason that you know if if I liken uh, auto insurance and homeowners insurance into clothing or apparel versus furniture, this is like apparel versus food processing. They're really <laughs> very 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 different industries. I think. The extent to which Oscar or health insurance broadly was, has been part of our story was really just more around in the very early of days, looking around at companies and entrepreneurs who are tackling big, hairy industries. We're like, wow, did, that's, that's, that's some, and some entrepreneur had the guts to go do that and sort of that giving us the confidence that we could attack an industry like this. But I think we'd be setting ourselves up to, to say something wrong or not credible if we started riffing on health insurance. Maybe if I were to spin your question, though, um, 
One thing that was interesting was the the birth of Oscar was kind of tied to the mandate around Obamacare. And in auto insurance, you obviously have something very similar with regard to if you are a driver, you have to own the product. And as Luke mentioned earlier, what we are seeing now as a tailwind in our industry is this mandate um, that municipalities like Cincinnati are putting upon property managers, which is if you are going to be, if you are offering an apartment to someone, you have to give them this opportunity. Um, and so I think that there is something there, which is this is not necessary. This category is not necessarily um, something that consumers think about very much. But if it is a, a an option that in some cases is mandated, it is an opportunity for startups um, like ourselves. Totally. How have you thought about building the the brand uh, of Jetty, and and how has that evolved over time? Yeah, so we we want to be um, a very very approachable brand. Um, it's not saying something wholly differentiated, um, but I think that if you are sitting, we imagine ourselves as a renter sitting in a leasing office, and we want to be able to look different, sound different than what you imagine an insurance product or a financial service product would look and sound like in that environment. And so we have taken an approach, which is how do we, how do we sound and how do we break down what otherwise could be a complicated subject? How do we look such that we, are, we actually can identify with the consumer at the other end? We look like a consumer product that is definitely not insurance related. And then also, uh, this gets into our experience of dealing with us. Uh, we want to make sure that when a customer picks up the phone, sends a text, sends an email, we want to deliver a customer experience that feels like best in breed brands. Um, and so that's how we think about it. Totally. And and so if if we're sitting here in in 2030 or, or 2025 or 2030, and we're talking about you know how to uh, how the insure tech uh, landscape has evolved or or where the investment opportunities or what's different about building an insure tech company what do you think is a uh, what might we be talking about that's different than what we're talking about today yeah i think it's probably some of the stuff that mike has spoken to already around data and figuring out new and interesting ways to underwrite and price risk really differently given all of the new and differentiated data sources and our ability to process that data meaningfully I think that will continue to be a very, over the long run, that play is going to get more and more actionable and also have a greater and greater impact, not just in this arena, but in everything that we're doing. I mean, in some sense, you know, I, I didn't, neither of us made this line up, but insurance is the original big data problem. Um, it really is just a, it's kind of a data finding signal through noise and, and, and essentially a big data set problem. I know it has been. And so I think over the long run, that coupled with products that are finding new and interesting ways to distribute products is is going to be there's a lot of juice left in that for a long time to come totally so in in closing uh what what can we uh stay tuned for in terms of what to expect from jetty or for people who uh want to learn more to potentially uh join or potentially use in some capacity what what more can you can you tell us or where to look yeah what we're focused on right now is trying to get into as many properties as possible such that if you are renting in the United States, you expect that Jetty will be an option for you. And so that is the, that's the main focus for the company right now. Yeah. And if you want to keep in touch with us and sort of follow our, 
our whereabouts and our comings and goings, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Jetty, J-E-T-T-Y. And Mike and I are also both pretty active posters on LinkedIn. Talk about sort of new, the new social media platforms, right? Everyone's <laughs> favorite, myself included. Yes. Why am I in bed browsing LinkedIn? Um, so we're pretty active on there. And we post a lot about kind of both personal observations around prop tech and fintech more broadly, as well as sort of Jetty specific news stuff and there. Totally. Um, my guests today have been Mike Rudoy and Luke Kohler of, of Jetty. Uh, Mike and Luke, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.